through the Gospel of Luke, touching on some of the stories that are unique to, to Luke's Gospel. And um, today we're looking at chapter 5. Last week, about two weeks ago, excuse me, Brother Craig talked about Luke 4. Luke 4, is, it's, it's a reminder that, uh, from Luke that, that Jesus has a message for the poor, the enslaved, the imprisoned, uh, the down and out, and those who are on the bottom rung of the social ladder, that the gospel is for, is for, for those there in that situation. Today's uh, Dr. Luke will show us that Jesus also has a call for regular guys, like Peter. Guys with dirty, calloused hands from long hours of work who quietly take care of their families and who seek to live by the rules and, and who have little in, a little income stashed away, but they aren't rich. They, 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 Simon Peter is just the regular guy. Peter, the fisherman. Let's read the passage. In fact, let's stand. I like this practice of standing for the word of God. We can look at Nehemiah sometime and see that that's what they did in the revival of Nehemiah. I like this practice that we've been starting to do. Uh, uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, the ESV translation. <clears throat> on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. God's word. You may be seated. They followed him. Luke, over and over, wants us to see that Jesus is the Savior who came to this world for all people. Men and women, Jews and Greeks, and even Samaritans. He hated Samaritans. The, the sophisticated, the simple, the, the religious, the irreligious, the down and out, and the up and in. All kinds of categories of people. Jesus is the only Savior sent from heaven. And here we see Peter confronted with his own what I call his self-sufficiency and his need to be humble before God. Jesus is discipling Peter in this passage and the others as well. He wants to train him, equip him so that he can be effective in catching others for the gospel, for the, for the good news. Peter's a skilled fisherman, part of a team of fishermen who are quite skilled. They have boats and he has a house where, where Jesus and the team stayed when they were in Capernaum near the Sea of Galilee. Simon is well-respected, he's pretty confident, he's pretty self-sufficient. Simon knew how to fish. Jesus is discipling us as well. He's discipling us as well. And let me ask you a question. What are you good at? What are you good at? What areas of your life seem to be things that you have a handle on? You have some success, you have a sense of fulfillment such as fishing was for Peter. Something that puts maybe food on your table, 
a roof over your head. Something that you do with excellence and people can see it. What are you good at? It could be because of your natural ability. It could be because of extensive study. Maybe it's because of hard work. Maybe it's a combination of all those three things. What are you good at? I believe most of us, for some of us, for all of us, there's some area, rather than trusting the master every day, we, like Peter, look, look at Jesus and say, no problem, Jesus, I got that. I got this. That's Peter's problem here. But the good news is that Jesus takes us as we are and makes us what he wants us to become. He wants us to become grace-filled disciples, knowing him deeply, serving him with excellence, and, and loving others well, sharing the good news from a life of integrity and, and with clarity, being tools in his hands, making a difference in the world, building the kingdom of God, fishing, catching men, catching people. He wants, us to, he wants to make us into something more than what we are now. There, there are four movements in this text. This text moves pretty quickly. It's 11 verses. And after noting them, we're going to apply them to our lives. The first movement is what I just call confidence. Confidence. There's a lot of confidence in this passage. There's a lot of, 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 of overconfidence in this passage. Verses 1 to 5. Is, we see the situation here. This is the context. Jesus is in the crowd. He's, Jesus is going to preach to the crowd. The boat is moved out so that the boat, could, the, the boat can be kind of a, a natural pulpit, separating from the people. And it's morning probably, and, and the fishermen have been fishing, and Peter, and there's two boats there, this fishing business that they have. So the boat is kind of his stage. He preaches, he finishes preaching, and he asks Peter, though they had been fishing unsuccessfully all night, cast the dragnet again. Cast that dragnet again. Simon Peter has an initial reaction in verse 5, very important for what we're going to say here today. He answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Now, now this is quite understandable if you're Simon Peter. But don't rush past those words, though. Here's what he's saying. Wait a minute, Jesus. I'm a fisherman. We've been out here all night. <laughs> we have already fished, and we have come up empty tonight. We are tired, frustrated, hungry. We want some rest. Rabbi, you do the preaching, we'll do the fishing. Peter says to Jesus, stay in your lane. I got this one. Don't need your advice on fishing. We're tired, we're going home. This is his self-confidence. This is self-sufficiency, that he knows how to fish. Jesus, you just keep preaching. He said, I got this, and we're done. Anybody been there? Anybody there today? Where Jesus is telling you to do something, you say, I know how to do that. I'm glad the text doesn't stop right there. Maybe Peter remembers that he just called Jesus Master. Master. And thus is worthy of some measure of obedience. Maybe. Or maybe he didn't want to give, have a public argument with Jesus who just given this great message. So, so for some reason, he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. But at your word. Very important, four very important words. But at your word. Sometimes that's all we have to stand on, isn't it? Sometimes God doesn't seem to be making sense 
And, and the test is, will we believe our feelings? Will we listen to the advice of others? Will we listen to the voice in our heads will we, that, that seems right? Or will we trust our own perceptions of what's going on? Or will we simply believe the word of God and trust it? Peter is so self-confident in his fishing ability, he doesn't cast the net with a lot of confidence, with a lot of joy, with a lot of faith. But guess what? He cast the net again. He cast the net again. Verses 6 and 7, let's talk about failure. Now watch this carefully. Peter obeys Jesus. He casts the net. And they have this huge catch of fish. Verses 6 and 7, they include a large number of fish, it says. It says, um, the nets were breaking. That's how, how large it was. It says, they, it filled both the boats, and, and they began to sink. Luke is describing for us the incredible catch here, this mega catch of fish. Sounds like success, but, you know, something else is going on. <laughs> because I'm calling this movement failure. Now, why is it failure? Because as, as we look underneath what's going on here, into Peter's heart, we see that Jesus' success exposes Peter's failure, his sense of failure. Something's happening to Peter when he saw the great catch of fish. But Peter, the great catch, exposed his own self-sufficiency, his own extreme self-confidence, his lack of understanding that the man on the boat was not just a man. The man on the boat is God. The creator of this universe, the one who created the boat, the one who created the disciples, the one who created the fish, the one who created the ability of the disciples to catch the fish, the ability to clean the fish, the ability to cook the fish, the ability to digest the fish. God was on the boat, and, and, and the man on the boat, since he's God, he knows where the fish are. And when he says, drop the net one more time, you better believe he has good reason to say, drop the net one more time. So, so this successful catch on the outside reminded Peter very quickly of his inner failure. His own proud, sinful, slow-to-believe heart. God says in Romans, rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, it's a strange feeling when everyone is rejoicing. And you know, you should feel like rejoicing, but you just are feeling it because of something going on inside of you. Sometimes we do feel envious or jealous of some people's success. Or, or, we have, or for some reason, we get discouraged because of something weird, strange going on on the inside of us. Many of you know my son Joshua. He's a, he, he's a jazz piano major excellent piano player, and um, his junior year in college, he called me, he said, guess what, Dad? I'm taking a course, I'm taking a, a, a private guitar lessons. I said, that's good. Eh? Guitar is, of course, the most biblical instrument there is. You know, David played the guitar. <laughs> David played a 10-string guitar. I said, that's great, Josh. And I said, well, maybe one day you'll get good like me. That's what I was thinking in my head, you know. Um, <laughs> and when he graduated, he, got, he, he was in a band, one of the bands, and he played piano, he played keyboard, but he really played guitar in that band. I said, I gotta hear this band. I heard, I remember the time I heard him, that's me and that's him, that was me years ago, that's him. I heard that band, and I remember the, the weird feelings that I had. It was, it was the duplicitous feeling of, that's my boy, look at him, he's going, he's good. And the other feeling was, if this 
knucklehead that I raised is that good. I must not be that good. The, the, the feeling of not having the total rejoicing that my son was, 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 was grown into a very excellent musician. But, but that's a humorous story, but, but sometimes there's more serious ways, times where we really can't rejoice because of something that's going on on the inside. You know, Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. When we experience a confused heart, a, a divided heart, the scripture talks about, God uses that to break us, to move us to repentance. Which leads us to the third movement in the text. Everyone's rejoicing. Everybody's high-fiving at, at, at this great and incredible catch, except for one guy, Peter, Simon Peter. He isn't jumping in with the others to catch the fish. He isn't giving instructions about what to do next. He didn't even seem to thank Jesus for the catch. What's he do? Verse 8. But when Simon Peter came, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I, Peter, am a sinful man. You, Jesus, are Lord. I'm sinful. You are Lord. You're, you're not merely my friend. You are Lord. You're not merely a, a Jewish rabbi that just gave a great message. You are Lord. You're not merely the master, a human master. You are the master. You are the Lord. You're not merely a man. Depart from me. I am sinful, and you are Lord. You know, in Scripture, when people encounter God, that's often their response. It, 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 it says, when Moses saw the burning bush, it says in the text of the Exodus, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. When Isaiah in the temple, he saw the Lord at the temple, he said, Woe is me, for I am lost. When Ezekiel saw the wheel that manifested the glory of God, he said, I fell on my face. When Paul saw his sin clearly, he said, Wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? Peter is broken. He's remorseful. He is repentant. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. And now Jesus is now going to take Peter, now broken and now contrite, and call him to become something great. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. Verses 10 and 11, we see this call. See, first, Peter first personally experiences the grace of God, and then he's given the call of God. Notice carefully, verse 10. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. See, notice the gracious word of Jesus, the tender word of Jesus who, to this one who said, depart from me. He says, no, don't be afraid. When you truly see God and experience who God is, your first instinct is fear. And God's first instinct when he sees your fear is to give the word of grace. Fear not. Isn't that great? When the Lord appeared to Isaac in Genesis, he says, I am the Lord I, I'm the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. When Daniel is praying and the angel comes to say the answers are coming, the angel says, fear not. When Joseph and Mary and Elizabeth and the shepherds of, 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 of Bethlehem, when they're visited by God's angels in the birth narratives, they're told, fear not. Don't be afraid. Even in Revelation, when John saw Jesus, he writes, I fell at his feet as though dead, but... He laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first 
and the last. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end of wisdom. The grace of the Lord is the end of wisdom. The songwriter says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. It was grace my fears believed. When we have tasted of God's grace, we're in a place where we're ready to be called by him. So we see this call in verse 11 where Jesus declares, from now on, Peter, you will be catching men. You will be catching men. Just as Peter had been captured by Jesus' grace, he's now told that he'll be sent out to do the catching. Fishing for others. Jesus is fishing for men. And he will use Peter and others to accomplish the task. For Peter, this is a special call to go as an apprentice for several years under Jesus in preparation for ministry, for apostolic service. For each of us, it, it, uh, 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 this, is, this is not a call to apostolic service, but to tell someone about him, to fish, to catch others for the kingdom as the Spirit of God leads us. Some of us are called to stand and to give public testimony to others. We're seeing many in our world pay the ultimate price for standing up, aren't we? Would you pray for them? Now, God doesn't call all of us to die for him, but he does call each of us to live for him. And every believer who is to live for him, to tell, be ready to tell the story. Later in his life, in his letter, 1 Peter, Peter writes, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. These verses give us a couple really quick pointers on how to fish, how to catch men that maybe Peter had learned through the years. He says, live among people so they might be able to see your life. He says, when people see your life, they should be attracted and ask for the reason, for the hope that you have. When people see your hope, they, be ready to give them an answer. We should be prepared to share of why Jesus is the source of our hope. We should always share this hope in Jesus with an attitude of gentleness and respect he has learned. It's hard for Peter. <laughs> never with arrogance, never with pride, ne never with a holier-than-thou attitude. Gentleness and respect. Most of all, you know, we should share this hope with the confidence because Jesus is the fisherman, catching men through us because he still knows where the fish are. All right, so we've, we've moved through this encounter, this encounter here in, in, in the gospel. And I want to just look at some of the implications for our lives. The first implication is about worship, our worship life, as we gather together as God's people. We come each week into God's special presence together. And, and let's be honest, sometimes we come, sometimes we're feeling horrible, sometimes we're feeling great. Sometimes, we're, in fact, we're full of ourselves. It's, we're just feeling great. But we really have we really seen him. You know, we really haven't worshipped him in spirit and truth until we get to the point where we see our lack, we see our need, where we're hungry, we're thirsting after him. You know, God hates worship that's not sincere and not humble and not God-centered. God hates that. He hates it when we just recite the words. That's why each week in our service we confess our sin. Those aren't just words. That, that should come from, they are words, but they're more than words. They should come from our hearts of, of sincere brokenness and contrition before him. 
like Isaiah, like Moses, like Daniel, like Peter, we should fall down before the Holy One when we come to worship. Like, like, like those guys, it is in the presence of the Holy One that we experience His grace and His call to go and serve. Another implication is discipleship. Our own walk with God, our walk in God's Word. As we feed upon the Word, we see ourselves, our need, and we should be moved to repentance. See, if you're really reading the Word of God, it should challenge you. And if it never challenges you to repent, maybe you're not reading it accurately. We come to Him, we're convicted of our sin, our need, and He lavishes His grace and His mercy upon us as we, as we encounter Him, enabling us to live as His sons and daughters. It's through the New Testament, a lot, a lot of times, it talks about walking in the flesh rather than walking in the Spirit. We walk in the flesh, it's, it's to trust yourself. To walk in the Spirit is to trust Him, to be dependent upon Him, His life within us. And this plays out as we repent, and as we hear the word of grace, as he, and as we go to serve him. Now, there are several ways people think about life. One way is the way that, I think it's from the, the poem Invictus. I am the master of my fate and the captain of my own soul. That, this is a form of what you would call religious deism. That, that it's up to me. Another way that people look at life is that God helps those who help themselves. I remember as a kid, I used to look, actually, that, is that in the Bible? And I used to look in the Bible for that verse. It's not in the verse. It's not in the Bible. It's a half-truth. A half-truth that becomes a whole lie. It produces religious legalism. And others have a slogan, let go and let God. Another half-truth that can lead to religious mysticism, that you don't have to do anything. Let God will do nothing. God's spirit in you will move you. I haven't found that to be totally true. I think I have some responsibility to, to read. God doesn't read for me. I read. So let go and let God is a half-truth that can become a whole lie if you see it as the whole truth. Now, the New Testament consistently reminds us to obey in the energy of the spirit who's been given to us. Every believer... Colossians 1, 29, Paul says this, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. That's what the scriptures talk about. That's, how, that's what the scriptures talk about. That as we are broken before him, as we depend upon him, as we trust him, he works through us. And the, the last application is, is just in evangel- is in conversion. It's in conversion. And we heard the testimony of Philippians chapter 3, the testimony of Paul. When it comes to the requirement of righteousness, to pleasing a holy God, Paul's lifelong response was, no problem, God, I got this. Until, until one day, on the Damascus Road, when he met Jesus. So we can only be saved if we meet Jesus, if we come As a child, come with empty hands, come with faith. If you have never laid your sins fully upon him, I urge you, come to Jesus. Trust Jesus. Trust him as your sufficient sin bearer. and He will save you and equip you for heaven eternally.
Today is March and spring is coming. It's coming, <laughs> though it doesn't feel like it. February was one of the coldest months that we've had in Baltimore, many, many years. Week before last, it was Thursday, I was, uh, stayed here because it was a choir night and I had a choir rehearsal and the phone rang. It was Terry who said, well, guess what? The heat in the house is out. It's getting cold. It's getting cold here. I said, oh, really? Oh, that's not good. That's not good. Because this was the day that they were saying, get ready for the coldest night of the year. And it was. Single digit temperatures that day. And I said, okay. I was tempted to stay here and work on my sermon until about 1 or 2 o'clock, but I didn't do that. Because I could be go home and suffer with the people of God, as it says in Exodus. <laughs> so I went home and... Uh, and, and, and it got cold. It got, we blankets, or a lot of blankets that, that night. And uh, she, she said, well, I've already called. I've called uh, Carol Fuel. They'll come. They're bringing somebody in the morning. I said, in the morning? Okay. They'll be here in the morning. So we had a night of sleeping in the cold. We even let the cats sleep in our bedroom. I don't do that. I don't want cats crawling around my pillow. I don't like that. But we, I was gracious that one night. Morning came. The temperature was like, between, it was about 44 degrees in the house. It was cold. We were all, our, our room was a little bit warmer. So... By noon, they had come, the man, the Carl Fuel man had come, he had diagnosed the problem, no problem, he fixed it, and the, the heat began to come on in the house, and, and um, we rejoiced that we now had heat, we weren't suffering, like many people, we thought about many people who suffer during this weather, and I know some of you have had pipes that have probably had some pipe problems, many problems have taken place over the last few uh, weeks, but nobody froze that night, you know what we did? We trusted the man who knew what to do. The Carol Fuel Man. <laughs> when it comes to our sin problem, the problem with many of us, we don't make the call to the man who knows what to do. We'd rather try to figure it out ourselves, try to get our own toolbox and figure it out ourselves, whatever. When you know, all you got to do is make the call to the man who knows what to do. And if you've never trusted in Christ, I, I urge that it, it's, like, it's like you're trying to repair your own problems when you are not the expert. There is one who knows what to do. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of the world. And, it, and he, can, he can fix it. Just like that. Each month we come to remind ourselves that, 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 that we come in service in the world as disciples of Christ, because of Jesus, who has fixed it. Who has fixed it. You have called on the name of the Lord, and he's fixed it. That's what this table's all about. It's a reminder to ourselves that all of our walking and our serving and our, and our doing all the things that we, we seek to do in his name, ultimately it's him. It's about him. The one who perfectly, excellently, has solved our sin problem and is continually solving our sin problem and continually empowering us to be his disciples in the world. This is the Lord's table, a reminder of the, the, the perfect, sufficient work of Jesus Christ for his people. If you've trusted in Christ, this, this table is for you. May I ask officers to come forward as we continue. This table's for you as you, as you feed upon the grace and the love of God that's, that's, that's shown in these elements. It's, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant shed for the remission of all of our sins. Drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim 
my death till I come again. This, is, this, this table is for those who, who, who understand that, that it's not about them. It's about the fact that they are broken and repentant before God. And, and, and through his son, he has supplied all we need that we might know him now and eternally. It's for repentant people, not for perfect people. If, you, if, if that's you, if you're a member of this church, if you, even if you're not a member of this church, but you understand that message, that gospel, this, this table is for you as you feed upon him and, and, and get to be enriched uh, and blessed by his grace. If you're a child, you've talked to your parents, you've been allowed to do that. If you haven't talked to your parents and, and been, been open, the table hasn't been open to you, then, then refrain. If you, if you don't understand this gospel, you're, you're just a visitor, you're just checking it out, and you're not sure that you have truly trusted your hope, all your hope in Jesus, refrain and pray that you, this will become more clear to you, that you might rejoice in Jesus Christ. And the, the scriptures also warn us that a man ought to examine himself to see if he's worthy of the body and blood of Christ. What does it mean? None, all, none of us is, is worthy. But it's, it's understanding that, that it's, it's repentant people, people who are seeking to be right with God and with God's people, they're invited to this table. Take a moment now. Just pause and pray silently. Lord, prepare my heart for this.